to the Starry-Eyed Podcast. My name is Brendan. And I'm Jen. On this show, we chat about all things Williams Syndrome. The ups and downs and what it's like living with. And being a parent to someone with. Williams Syndrome. We're excited to share our community with you. Thanks for being here. to this interview with uh, Benjamin Jacob is going to be a hard edit because he started so organically and, and you guys just kind of took off. I don't, I'm not even sure we're going to be able to like, I don't not even sure we got his name out properly. So I don't even know either. I know. I I don't think so. Ben Jacob at Texas children's that's we, we, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about it right in the beginning. So we'll talk about it in our intro. We better get our, our, poop in a group here but yeah he just started and he was like so well spoken i'm like well i'm not gonna make you stop and like yeah. do let's just go okay i love it i love it when people are prepared he's an enneagram three you can tell so uh happy february everybody yes happy february dude i cannot believe it's february dudes plural dude, I can't yeah, believe I it's february first week of this podcast today oh my god that was so good so good um, um yeah, first oh. up is uh, is Jess, Jess Trans. It was it was pretty cool. She has a great smile, and so for those of you listening, you'll have to go check out our video portion of the podcast because yes. she's like you can tell she's like a sweet girl, and she is loves you know her life, and um, she just is. The conversation made me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of good stuff out there. And then, um, yeah, then Ben Jacob, um, Benjamin Jacob from uh, Texas Children's. Man, yeah, he came in. He uh, Full disclosure to uh, people watching and listening, we had an interview cancel on us, and but we really wanted to talk about National um, Heart Awareness Month. Yes. And he came in and knocked it out of the park. Holy buckets. Yeah, he was because uh, so knowledgeable. So February is CHD Awareness Month. It is yeah. uh, Congenital Heart Defect Month. Um, I think it is Heart Awareness Month in general as well, but for many in the Williams Syndrome community, um, we are impacted by congenital heart defects. About 75% of our population um, can have one or more. So it's a really important topic. And Ben just like the minute we turned that computer on, he was like coming in hot with all the information. It was amazing. Uh, so the people who are um, listening to this on their devices and maybe have seen the tile come up and uh, and certainly if you're watching this on, on YouTube, uh, you'll notice that the podcast looks a little different. The yep. logo is a bit different. Um, we had a refresh. We had a we did. Yeah, we, we did. We, we got a, a full refresh. We revamped and we, we Brazilian yeah. blowed out this whole <laughs> podcast. Just like my hair. There it is. Just like yeah. my hair, guys. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, so um the how it how it started was um Joel accidentally deleted a very important file and couldn't find it again, and so was going to have to redo the whole beginning of the show anyway. And so that started a conversation of hey, you know, when we started this 
show. I just came up with that logo because we needed something. This allowed us to say, oh, uh, allowed us to all kind of, what do we want this logo to be? What do we want it to say? What do we like about what we have? What do we want to change? Well, and really the, the great, the old logo was great, like super cute, loved it. Um, really the change that we made, there's kind of like two small changes, right? One was we wanted to make the logo a little bit more accessible to our friends in the disability community. Um, and I recognize that maybe that does not apply to people with Williams syndrome, but you or people with Williams syndrome may have other friends that have disabilities, right? But things like um, color blindness, things like being able to read certain fonts, um, or like I said, certain colors, that can be important when you're talking about accessibility. And, and as accessibility is so important to, to us, we wanted to create something that um, that honored that, right? And represents, you know, truly what we're trying to do here. So Joel did a great job of taking all of our demands. Yeah, no, they weren't demands. They were, they were wonderful, wonderful suggestions. Yeah. We're trying to be more inclusive. We're trying to be more inclusive and that is our number one priority. So we hope that you enjoy the new look. Yep. Um, we changed the name. We, we dropped a part. We did. Part. We did. We did. Um, uh, there's really yeah. no great story behind that. We just well, no, there's not. I mean, I, I will say, uh, I I have I sort of felt like the old title was a little too clever by half. Mm. You know, yeah. we're just like, you know, hey, we're a podcast. We're not, you know, we're we're the starry-eyed effect. It, like I was thinking about the the Jimi Hendrix experience. We do a we great experience. We're not quite we're not quite Jimi Hendrix level. Oh yet you uh, weren't being yet but we'll get there we'll get there well thank you for a great podcast as always i'm excited to hear what everybody thinks yeah yeah we'll, uh, we'll we'll see you in a couple weeks everybody take care Have enjoy the interview. hey uh jess how are you good how are you doing well uh so for those that don't know who you are um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jess and I am from Michigan, growing up with Michigan. Um, I am the fifth child of my family and I was diagnosed in 1999 with Williams syndrome and I have a fun, unique personality with it. So I love it. So you're, are you, you're the baby of five? Okay. Okay. So, so you got diagnosed pretty young. Okay. Tell us about yep. how that happened. So I was really tiny and what happened was my mom um, actually gave me birth in 1999. So it was actually on my birthday. And then all of a sudden I stopped breathing. They had a lot of medical issues going on. My heart was beating too fast. And then about like Maybe several years after that, I took a fish test and it was positive that I had it. Okay. Okay. So like right away, you had some, maybe like signs of having something, <laughs> but then it wasn't until, did you say a few months later that you got diagnosed? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you were like a little itty bitty thing. Um, how was that for your parents? I mean, I have two kids and I can barely handle myself. So I can't imagine having five kids and having it, like somebody that has needs. It was scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to like live with this whole thing? Or am I like, you know, it was like, my mom was very 
you know, she was scary. And so was my dad. I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. I was scared what's, too. What's the age difference? Like what's your oldest sibling? How old is your oldest? Um, my, so I have four other ones. So I have Anna who is 29 years old, I think. Okay. And I have a brother, Joe, who is maybe 26. And I have a brother who is 27 and an older sister who's 30. Okay. Okay. So yeah, like your house was full of kids under the age of like 10. Then you come along mm-hmm. and you're diagnosed with Williams syndrome. Did you always grow up in Michigan? Yes. Yep. Okay. And always in the same area that you're in now. Okay. So tell us about that. Tell us about growing up in Michigan um, you were probably like the only person in your school who had Williams syndrome. Yeah, it was, it was scary, but you know, I had fun growing up. It was, you know, some of it was challenging. Sure. Um, we, so I play bowling. So I do a lot of bowling in my family. Okay. Um, and my other siblings did like softball and baseball. So that was kind of fun just to go see them travel around. Big sports family. And a lot of it, I think, it made me a different person just because I felt like I had all the stuff I needed to know about it. So you remember like childhood being really fun. How was school for you? It was challenging. Yeah. (laughs) Because because of the, you know, the diagnosis, I think it made it challenging because I had a hard time writing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And reading. And I think like my education was low. So it was very hard to like get education back then but now I think it's easier yep yeah because I'm home a lot and still doing things I enjoy so so now I'm working three different organizations okay three three jobs yeah 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 it was a lot (laughs) um disability advocates is one so pretty much anybody who has a disability or whether it's you know their parents or grandparents whatever so on and so forth they can call us and we can help them get housing, um, um, OT, like equipment, like any kind of walkers or anything that they need. So I run the front desk in my office um, two days a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. And then I am now in a volunteer for Special Olympics. So, yes. And I'm doing um, their newer front desk. So I'll be doing that same thing as disability advocates. And then Be Nice is ambassador. And then just helping whoever needs help is what I enjoy most. Right on. That's awesome. Do you do do special, uh, special Olympics? Yes. Okay. So, so does Brendan. Yep. Um, Golf and swimming. Uh, I used to do bowling, but right now I'm kind of focusing on work a little bit. Life life comes first before anything, you know? Yeah. Work, anything that, you know, related like that. Brendan, I didn't know you were doing swimming for special Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, I was doing swimming and then the pandemic hit, you know? Okay. Okay. So it's it's been a while, um, but the last last time I swam, I got two back to back golds uh, for relays okay. uh, with my team, and then our the coach that we had changed jobs. So and I just kind of felt hesitant about like I didn't know who the new coach would be, yeah. how I would fit into that situation. Um, so I kind of just took a break uh, and just kind of focused on golf. Um, 
And then I got COVID twice back to back. So I took the whole year off from Special Olympics to just focus on my health. Mm-hmm. Um, and now fast forward to 2024, I'm, you know, going to do golf again, um, hopefully swimming, you know, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. And so what kind of health issues do you struggle with? Um, heart issues, blood pressure issues, eye issues, ears, pretty much everything that people get with William syndrome. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about the, the eyes. It that. Eyes so my eyes were this way. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, so I needed to them to go straight. So uh-huh. I had eye surgery. So, um, it took a while to get normal, but I would get a lot of ear infections. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like if I fly somewhere, you know, I still have trouble hearing afterwards. Ear pressure bothers you. Yes. Ear pressure. Yep. Uh, Heart, of course, you know, I've, um, back in, I think it was like 2014. That was my first surgery because my heart was going fast. It was going to the point where I was scared enough to not know what was happening. So I had an eight hour surgery ablation done. And then, um, they kind of told me it wasn't going to come back at all but then it came back again so I went through the same thing like three different times so it was like oh my god I was scared enough like yeah yeah Yeah, I I had a cardiac catheterization when I was uh 16 around that age 15 16 because I had cardiac arrhythmias so my heart would skip a beat stop and then restart and um so it was creating the sensation of having like mini heart attacks. Like I would get the numbness down my left arm, like really bad chest pain. So I had the cardiac catheterization. I had a stress test. Mm-hmm. They almost had to put a defibrillator in. Oh my gosh. Um, and then I was put on a heart medication, which has helped everything. They, they did the cardiac catheterization and I couldn't recreate the rhythm. So they just decided to put me on heart medication and, um, it's been a life changer. I mean, yeah, there are some times that I still have very minor arrhythmias, but there's, it's not a big deal. Like I only have to see my cardiologist like once every year. So, which is great. Um, but I can, so I can totally relate to, you know, what you've been through. Yeah. Because I just, you know, hearing them say, oh, you need this done or you need, you know, you need that done. I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to risk everything. And so they did like an eight an hour an hour ablation on me because my heart kept going. Dun, 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 right. And then all of a sudden it kept going and going until it was dun, 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 dun. And I was like, oh boy. You can feel that when that was happening? You can, yeah, I could feel it anywhere in my body. You just feel it. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Definitely uh, weird. It so- doesn't matter if I'm sitting on my couch or in a chair or at work. I could just feel coming. But yeah, I was going to ask you, like, when does it seem like it, it occurs? It just can happen. Well, 2020, I think it was, I was literally sitting on my couch playing with my iPad. And I usually would just watch airplanes for fun and entertainment. Yeah. And so I was sitting there, I was like, and I feel so weird. Why do I feel so weird? And I would feel like, you know, my chest was beating, my heart was like, 
so I get this like weird rhythm. I was like, damn, mom, I don't feel good. Something's wrong. They're like, what? I said, I could feel my chest beating. My heart was beating. So it took me like an hour. Oh, I don't remember how long it was. Like an hour or so just like to get it back to normal. Uh, yeah. yeah. So now that I had the surgery done, I'm kind of feeling relief because I have AFib. So it triggers almost everything. <laughs> so when people get AFib, it, it's scary. It's, yeah. I don't know what it is. So tell me what it is. I don't know what it is. So it's people who have Williams syndrome or have heart issues, your heart is supposed to go one per minute, but mine went two per minute. So it's like you're almost, you're like, I don't want to say like, um, you're like thinking. So like one time I, um, it's like almost where your heart is being way too fast. So it's not getting back to the rhythm normal. Yeah. So they go in and they have the like shotgun and restart it to get it back to normal. So it almost takes you like a couple of weeks to just get back to normal from having surgery. Yeah, it was like, it was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've been like dealing with some health stuff. Like mm-hmm. so in the midst of that, like what is your, what looks like about your life? Tell us about, you've worked three jobs, which is like yes. a grind. Um, mm-hmm. Sounds like you don't have any free time, but like, what do you do in your free time? Love antiquing. I don't know if oh. anybody's an antiquer, but I 100% love antiquing. Very cool. So I like to collect all airplanes. Yeah. Like, I like full airplanes or just like air- yeah. airplane anything? My whole entire room is full of airplanes. Um, the reason why things like that. I love collecting planes is because I used to have, um, I think it was like one of my grandparents went in the Coast Guard. Or like I have one that went into the Navy or whatever. So I'm usually collecting each one of them, whether it's a 747 or 757s. I'm like that person. That likes okay, so you know a lot about planes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, my, I heard you just my best, my best two models is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is that always been a thing of yours? Or is that just some, yep. like, something new, like an interest that's developed? Okay, okay. And what about like your bowling because are you a big you're an avid bowler i hear i am yep i love bowling is it the same you started that when you were young too my whole family did it oh really i had um grandparents that did it i had um my father did it back in the day my mom did it uh my siblings did it so my whole family was a big bowling group so i enjoy it so yeah, are you on a team? Yes. Okay. It's we're I'm on like this disability group on Mondays. So I go like every other spring and summer. So it's fun. I don't know, you guys, Brendan and Joel, what would our team name be if we were bowling? I'm not a good bowler. So I would be like weighing you down. <laughs> um I feel like we would be strike Ooh. one to strike two. I don't know. The starry-eyed strikers? <gasps> oh. oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Hold it up. Of course you did. Yeah, I'm a terrible bowler, but I I, I like too. bowling. It's fun. Yeah. Um, and I think it's my daughter Stella loves bowling too because she likes the snacks. So she likes that she can like do something and like have a pretzel. Um 
and it's a good way to keep like physical, right? I mean, because yeah. if, you, if you're good at bowling, um, it's it's a lot of work. Yeah, I usually I mean, watch the whole brothers first, and then okay, you know, like Jason Balmonte or Chris Barnes or whatever. Yeah, I watch them, and it's fun. <laughs> How did your daughter get diagnosed? If you My don't daughter, know? yeah, yeah, she was she was five, and wow. it was I was two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was really like a big surprise. We had no idea. And yeah. so it was actually a teacher said it's kind of similar to Brendan, I think where somebody had known somebody with Williams syndrome and then had said to us, you know, Hey, we think Stella reminds us of this person with Williams syndrome. Yeah. It was, it was similar it. to that. Um, they watched a documentary. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. But I I wasn't diagnosed until I was almost thirteen. Um. So, which is crazy because usually people with Lyme syndrome get diagnosed at three to six months and or at birth and yeah. So first thirteen years of my life were uh, I didn't know and I was misdiagnosed with other things and then put on medications for those things and then properly diagnosed with the fish test. Um. So. Yeah. You know what's interesting, Brendan, is that this month, you guys probably both know this, it's C February is CHD Awareness Month, in addition yeah. to being rare disease month. So we kind of right. get like a dual, dual whammy um, yeah. for the for Williams syndrome. But I was thinking about it and I remember when Stella was diagnosed, and I so again, somebody said Stella looks like somebody with Williams syndrome. And so I Googled it on my phone. And the first thing I saw was that there was all of this heart stuff, right? And so yeah. that was the thing that bothered me the most. That was the thing that caused my parents too. Yep. Yeah. Stress yeah. was like, what does my child have something wrong with her heart? And I don't know it. I was just wondering, Brendan, if your mom felt the same way. Yeah, we were we were all really scared because it like things had been kind of happening here and there, sure. but like it just sort of came out of the blue um i mean i was i had a overnight heart monitor on and my heart spiked from 140 to 200 okay oh that's or 40 40 to 200 actually um okay. so we immediately got the call at like 11 o'clock at night like you have to go to the emergency room now and so my mom and i drove down and then this is when you were 13 like before you were diagnosed no when i was 16 when i had the heart the cardiac catheterization. Oh, yes, 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 okay. That was, that's what caused me to have the stress test, the cardiac okay. catheterization, almost having to have the defibrillator in because I spent like five or six days in the hospital doing these tests and getting everything done. And yeah, it was um, ah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is crazy. And I mean, it is an element for many people with Williams syndrome that you have to manage. And that's what I talk about, right? Like, and you guys are similar in the sense that when you were younger, you didn't have as many problems, right? It was like, as you got older, that, you know, some of these things come out. And so sometimes like for me, I feel like, well, people probably think it's silly that I'm talking about, you know, CHD awareness, because Stella just has like a heart murmur and high blood pressure. I have but, heart murmur too. You do? Yeah. 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 I, I those things, too. right? Yeah, if you don't watch it's them. It's not silly though. It's really not. You know, it's it's a serious thing, and absolutely you know, serious thing. And you know, people um, that think it's silly should get educated. Yeah, that's you know, I I always wanted to be to have people get educated. Like yeah. I would 
I, you know, I educate my work on it sometimes, you know, because if they have a kid, you know, at home, maybe they want to learn more. And, you know, of course, you know, it was, it's different now than what it was before. Like, you know, I agree. Um, well, believe it or not, we're like already like finishing up your very first podcast with us. You've done so well. But before we like close this segment out, I want to just give you the chance to like share, like if anybody who's listening, like what do you love about having Williams syndrome? Is there anything you want people to know about Williams syndrome? Um, the, this is your platform to share your your words of wisdom, your experience. Yep, you have the floor, Jess. If anybody who is listening right now who does not know, please look online. It has so many different things you can look up to, no matter what, if it's, you know, somebody without a disability or with, they are so unique and so amazing with or without. And, you know, for me, it was challenging because, you know, I didn't know if people were going to think differently. And for my parents, it was scary, you know, because they had to put a lot into it. And, you know, I'm sure it's scary for your daughter too so yeah but it's for me I mean I'm speaking for myself not for your parents but it's a it's a it's a blessing and there's so much that I get the privilege to learn along the way of the journey and it's opened my eyes to a whole segment of a population that I wasn't exposed to before and um so I consider myself very fortunate that I you know, get this, this, this perspective, um, because it is, it makes life so much more, um, impactful and fulfilling for, for me. And I think people who have Williams syndrome are just so fun. And we were talking about, you haven't been to convention, but if you ever go to convention and you see me, like, we will just have so much fun because it's just, um, you guys are so caring you are, you, you have a lot of life experience, right? M- much more mm-hmm. so than like the yeah. person to share. And you do, you have great experiences and perspectives. Every single person I've met with William syndrome, you guys have, have shared something deeply impactful for me. So thank you, Jess. You, yeah, thank you. Oh, that smile. I love your smile. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you get that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Oh, fun. yes. Every day, every but, day. Good. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. This has been, you know, amazing to educate people for sure. Good. Yeah. I'm glad, Joel. That's right. Yeah, it's been going for. Uh, I've been trying to get going since 2019, but really, it's just been going probably about a year and a half uh, or okay. so. So. So this yeah. is just for Williams syndrome? Yes, yeah. So I work in I work in cardiology there at Texas Children's. I'm a PA there. And I um, uh, joined that cardiovascular genetics group with the intention of developing a Williams program. My brother actually has Williams. That's why I'm that's why I'm interested in it. Okay. That's why I'm passionate about it and kind of went into cardiology and all those things. So got a lot of both personal and professional experience uh, with it. And so, yeah, we've been growing that uh, for a little while. So it's exciting. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, we're just getting, we're, we normally have like a whole thing that we tell you, but you just started so beautifully. So we're just going to keep <laughs> going. So your brother with Williams syndrome, I love this. How old is yeah. he? Uh, he is, let's see, he just turned 33. So he's four years younger than me. Yep. Um, so he had he had heart surgery when he was 10. 
And so I was 14 or so when that happened. So I wow. uh, got to experience that um, and the hard things that went with that. So, yeah. yeah. We, uh, so, you know, February is um, CHD Awareness Month. And so Joel and I had talked about this idea of um, bringing somebody that has more expertise, like I have no medical expertise. So if I am trying to explain any of this to anybody, it sounds like, um, sounds like a hot mess. So I thought it'd be fun to just like bring somebody on with this kind of background, right. To talk. And I love that you have a Williams syndrome connection because you can maybe talk about it more intimately just about the, um, heart challenges that exist for those with Williams syndrome for right now. Why don't you tell us like just about the Williams syndrome condition and how that plays into the work that you do in cardiology? Yeah. Um, so Williams syndrome, as as many people watching this probably know, um, a deletion on the seventh chromosome um, that includes a gene called elastin, or ELN is the name of the gene, but it codes for a protein um, called elastin. Um, that is a very important protein in blood vessels specifically, and um, so that can affect uh, how those blood vessels develop, change over time. Um, and the main thing, one of the biggest problems we see uh, as far as heart disease goes in Williams uh, is vascular narrowing or stenosis is the fancy word that we use for that. So um, really, uh, it's just narrowings of arteries, and they can be at a couple different, uh, they really can be in any vessel in the body, but um, the most common one we see is called supravalvar aortic stenosis, which is a mouthful, um, which is just narrowing above the aortic valve, which is um, the valve that leads to the biggest artery in the body. Uh, um, and provides oxygenated blood to the entire body. So that's the that's the most significant um, thing that we look for, but there is plenty of other things that we watch for uh, from a cardiac perspective um, in, in someone with Williams. And so um, I, I like to think of it as as not just one single problem, but actually it's, a, it's something called an arteriopathy or it's a, a change, a genetic change that can affect all the blood vessels in the body. So there's uh, lots of risks that can come with that, even if you don't have that structural component, that narrowing or, um, you know, one of those problems that sometimes needs to be surgically corrected. Um, it actually can be a lifelong thing to watch for, for hypertension. Uh, for development of coronary artery disease long term. Um, there's many things we need to watch for and screen for throughout uh, throughout the lifetime. Um, and, and just because everything's good on an initial checkup doesn't mean that there's not specific things we should be watching for uh, over a lifespan. So. so what's your brother's name? My brother's name is Jimmy. I call him Jimbo. He had open heart surgery at 10. So yep. what do you, I'm sure you know, like what kind of things that he have or what kind of issues cardiovascularly. And then, um, yeah, tell us more about how that just played into your journey of becoming a cardiologist. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, actually had the pretty typical supravalvar aortic stenosis. So that narrowing above the aortic valve um, that kind of progressed through his childhood years. So um, had a murmur since birth, which a murmur is just a sound that's created when, when blood goes through a narrowing or or causes turbulence in the blood vessels, and it's a sound we hear with a stethoscope when we listen. So, um, so that murmur was what led to his diagnosis, which is why I think cardiology and pediatric cardiology is a very important um, piece of, uh, of um, the medical treatment of someone with Williams is because that's where they enter the medical system a lot of times is from a murmur. Um, uh, we did some kind of background um, through our clinic at, at Texas Children's, and, and we found that 
um, we saw about 90% of the patients. We were the by far the, the specialty who saw the most patients with Williams because they would come to be evaluated for those narrowings and those murmurs. And so, um, but anyway, he um, his narrowing progressed um, through his kind of eight year after being diagnosed, he was diagnosed at two. And through after through those eight years, it progressed and got to a point where um, he needed to have surgery for, for that valve. And then actually during the surgery, they uh, realized that he also had significant narrowing of the coronary artery where it comes off of the aorta, um, okay. which is coronary artery is the artery that feeds blood flow to the heart itself. Okay. Um, and that can be something that is very under-recognized uh, in the Williams population and hard to diagnose actually, um, because we can't see that very well by routine echocardiogram. Um, sometimes when we go to the cath lab, which is where they put a big IV in your leg and, uh, and shoot contrast in there, it's really hard to see that um, by, those, by those catheters too, because sometimes you have to go into that artery to really get a good picture. And so um, it is really a tough thing to, uh, to see unless you're specifically looking for it. And even then, can be a challenge. And so they found that um, with them as well. So that's his surgery involved repairing both the coronary artery uh, where it came off the aorta and that narrowing in that uh, supravalvar aortic area. And so it was like when you were growing up um, and that experience is like what shift you were like wanting to be a football player and then you decided you wanted to go into <laughs> archaeology well, or you already I mean, knew you I wanted to be a doctor. If, if, if I would have been better at football, I probably still would have chosen that. But uh, okay. I did play football, but I was not good enough to make a make a uh, career out of that. So, yeah, yeah. that really um, ignited uh, my interest uh, hearing about uh, or seeing what he went through and hearing about the surgery and how they had to stop his heart and do all these things. And a machine was supporting him through that. And it was scary stuff. Right. Um, yeah. But I was like fascinated by that at the same time. And so. Um, yeah, through school and um, and all that, I've always had uh, a bent towards pediatrics for one, and then um, that had kind of pushed me towards cardiology. And thankfully, that's the way my brain works too, is in a very physical, um, you know, mechanical way, which is what cardiology is. It's pumps and valves and and all those things. And so, uh, yeah, it led me to to cardiology, which um, I've been doing for 10 years now. And then so the last five has been really um, focusing kind of um, on Williams care and in the outpatient setting and, and having a clinic that runs that. So yeah, uh, that was a big part of how I ended up where I am. I've never been to a Williams syndrome clinic though. And like that is again, in all transparency, what do you guys do? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, we're, what we're trying to do and what we're actually doing are currently two different things. Okay. So um, what we're trying to build is a true multidisciplinary. So having a geneticist, having uh, someone in cardiology, a cardiologist, having um, people for endocrine and renal and places that, that are experts in Williams that, that um, can be part of like coming to clinic and, and seeing them in the same day, right? Getting all that together yeah. um, to, so that the, in one visit you can do that. That's the dream, right? Uh, so how it looks like right now in, in building a program is um, really it's just identifying those people and, and funneling patients with Williams to the same people. So you're developing this institutional expertise. And so I work with a, a geneticist that I send all the patients to. I work with a developmental pediatrician that I make sure I funnel um, those patients with Williams to the same developmental pediatrician because, as you know, uh, it's rare, right? So um, if you spread out patients with Williams across the whole um, uh, medical um, um, 
all the specialties, right? You, you might be the only patient with Williams that that provider sees. And so the first yeah. goal is to get experts, right? And then it's to coalesce those experts into uh, something that can really be beneficial for, for timing and more convenience and things like that. So that's why it takes some time to build those things. And, and um, so the, the goal is to have that true multidisciplinary clinic where you know, a, a person with Williams can be in the room and, and rotate through specialists and say, what do you need from renal? What do you need from cardiology? What do you need from genetics? Uh, what testing do you need? And making sure you're on that pathway, that's the dream. Um, in practice, you know, um, we're really just trying to get expertise. We're getting those experts so then the parents and the families aren't having to be the ones, which I'm sure you've felt before, uh, yes. explaining what Williams is and telling doctors what they need to look for. And and having to be the expert yourself, which is great in education and, and the family education is super important in that. Um, but um, the way we do it in Williams is try to get the, the clinicians to be the experts and to be educating the families more, right? And having that um, kind of more well-rounded expertise that can, that can care for the whole body that way. What have you seen like in the short period of time? Um, you obviously have experience with Williams syndrome, but um, has that changed since, since you've taken this new role on? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, of course, I've continued to learn uh, a lot since taking this role on. Um, but um, yeah, you you said it exactly right. With with the genetic change, right? Just having a genetic change, this deletion does not equal severe heart disease, right? You can have um, a whole wide range from no heart disease at all um, to very severe, not only aortic narrowing, but also narrowing in the pulmonary arteries and needing multiple surgeries. Like there's, um, there's this huge spectrum and you can't predict just based on the deletion or the genetic test, you can't predict what heart disease you're going to have. So uh, that's where, I mean, I think research and all that is, is a really important area to try to understand that. Why? What's changing that? What's making a, a worse uh, vascular phenotype, right? Phenotype being the physical characteristics yeah. that we see. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, that's a really interesting thing moving forward is, is one, why there's this big variety. Is there ways we can modify that? Is there ways we can change that um, to, to hopefully have better heart um, outcomes? But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, even But even those people with no heart disease, no structural heart disease are still at vascular risk, right? They still, hypertension and stroke are still a, a problem and a concern, right? Long-term. So um, anyone with Williams should always have a cardiologist, right? You never graduate from cardiology and say, you are now um, free from cardiology, in my opinion, because um, I think all the vessels are abnormal and have risks. And even if you're not having to get echoes every year or every two years, um, you should still be following blood pressure. You should still be you watching for cardiovascular risk, watching for cholesterol that can make heart disease, coronary artery disease worse, right? Um, and, and seeing someone who has that background or knowledge in what Williams is can help um, guide that going forward. And, and that's another big challenging area is finding adult providers out there that are familiar enough with the syndrome because syndromic um, disease is really important in pediatrics because that's when diagnosis happens. That's when all these things are changing. And then you go into the adult world and it's really hard to find experts in those areas, those subspecialties as an adult. And so um, I think that's an area that, that um, we can kind of help find those people that do have that background and that knowledge. Yeah. And do your, does your clinic talk with other clinics? Like, do you guys all like collaborate and share best practices or share research that you're finding um, yeah. Or is like fighting for people to come. <laughs> I don't know how it works. No, right? like, absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. So 
Um, we are a part of the, the WSA has something called a clinical consortium. And what it is, is that's the group of Williams syndrome clinics, um, that are all kind of working together, um, to try to develop a national registry. Dr. Pober has developed a, a registry at Mass General and she's been doing her own for a long time. Right. Um, and so, uh, they're working to expand that to a, to a national level, which is like really in development and I think even launched at the last conference. And so um, at many places is open for enrollment. That's called CRUZ. That's a collaborative registry for um, Williams syndrome, right? Um, And so that is a way that we're all meeting together. One, we're helping to to say, hey, what do we want to put into this registry and this database? And then also with the thought of, hey, eventually, what are we going to pull out of this? What data do we want to find out? What research do we want to get from this? And so uh, it's a very collaborative environment. There is there is really no like, hey, we want your patients to come here. It's really like, hey, what are your patients doing? Because the more we um, find and the more we uh, develop programs, the more we see that uh, Williams Syndrome, when I was told about it with my brother, it was one in 20,000. And I think we're now down to one in 7,500 to one in 10,000 is the estimated occurrence, right? And so yeah. there's there's more, there's, there's not enough clinics uh, for more than enough people and um, and really more resources for those people to find those clinics is, is going to be a huge benefit. Yeah. yeah. I'm on the Are research you the furthest? Committee. Oh, go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, I'm on the research committee. So for the Wounds Syndrome Association, which helped create crews and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. That's weird. Yeah, and that's uh, Dr. Pober and uh, Dr. Kozell and, and all that are have started that and, and launched it. And now they're looping in all the clinics to really be a part of that. And so um, that'll be a hot thing or, or something that keeps coming out with more things. I think families are probably going to start being um, getting tired of questionnaires and things that are set out because we want to learn so much, right? We want to collaborate so much and we want to yep. have the data where I'm putting in data and, you know, um, Dr. Pover's putting in data and then we all share that and we can say, hey, I want to study this thing from a heart perspective and I can pull her data and my data and make that um, um, research have a better quality that way. Yeah, this and it's great. I were stumbling upon a, a question that somebody wanted us to talk to in a, in a podcast was like talking about what Cruz is and um, I don't know if I fully understood what it was until you just explained it. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about like why somebody would consider becoming a part of that registry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really, so there's a lot of um, different diseases. There's a lot of um, groups that have formed registries, right? Registries are a great way um, to get the same information from a lot of people. Um, and so really, really what this registry lets us do is it lets us, you know, the people who are leading these clinics are, are experts in Williams, right? And it, it lets us formulate like, hey, what are our kind of clinical questions? What do we really think there are areas to improve medical care, to improve um, care for anxiety and those other things? Like where, where are the areas we want to focus on? And when we decide on that and agree on that as a group, we can go to the registry, we can say, okay, this is what we want families and and people with women to be putting into that this is the questions we want answered from their side but at the same time we're also putting in information from a clinical side so we're putting in dosages and we're putting in medications and we're putting in great from my perspective we're putting in gradients on from the echoes and and things like that to say so there's a lot of clinic facing data that we're putting in and there's also patient facing data that um, that families put in to say hey what is this like from an anxiety perspective? What have you found to work? You know, so it kind of melds those two worlds together 
with more numbers so that we can then go to research and say, hey, how does this anxiety med work in Williams? How do what do families say? What do clinicians say? You know, what kind of dose does it take? You know, and then instead of just one little group or one, um, you know, a psychologist or, or um, a developmental pediatrician saying like, oh, this is what has worked for my small group. Like what has worked for a bigger group? Like, you know, and is there something to that that we can use, um, you know, to expand out and, and be better at caring for some of the um, the conditions that we see in Williams. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really cool opportunity. There's a lot of, a lot of building that goes in. So it's, I don't think it's going to be a fast process and you're going to have all sorts of, um, you know, data to put in at one time. I think we're trying to be thoughtful about what data we want first and, and, and what's the process. And then at some point, other groups that aren't part of the consortium can reach out to us and say, hey, we would like to study this. Could we use this data for that? And then we um, develop a process for them to deal with that. What do you think people with Williams syndrome can do for heart health, um, you know, for like a daily basis kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I think acti activity is is the biggest thing. So um, regular activity, right? That's for anybody. That's for anybody's heart health, right? Um, obviously, that comes with questions. There are some degrees uh, of narrowing that are, so significant that there are restrictions applied. Usually um, uh, in those cases, um, you know, that's still, hey, we want you still doing this. We want you still doing this level of activity, right? Um, but I think that's the biggest thing is not, um, you know, just not sitting around, not just doing nothing like most Americans tend to do or that I'm guilty of a lot of times too. Yeah. Um, that's that's the biggest thing because the more you can keep your, your blood pressure uh, and those changes in blood pressure, um, um, normal, meaning putting your body through its normal increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure um, with exercise, the better it is in its relaxed state. And so um, I think that's uh, a big thing that I think is a big need throughout uh, the community for sure um, is regular exercise and what exercise um, uh, will be um, reproducible and something they can stick to and something yeah. that, um, that over time will provide um, heart health. So any supplements or anything that you like, I know Stella's on a fish oil um, supplement, but is there anything that you go in addition to your like, you know, regular med management? Like these are some things that we found have been beneficial. Yeah. Um, really that's on a kind of a case by case. Like if, if the cholesterol seems to be higher than we'd like it to be, if we're checking that regularly, some people elect to do it just to try to keep cholesterol out that fish oil is a benefit for that, for like triglycerides yeah. and things, um, for, for those things. Um, but there's nothing, you know, like supplement or something regularly that I'd recommend for everyone, um, with Williams, right. And we're watching, um, you know, we have many, many patients are on blood pressure medicines, trying to keep that down um, and, and in reasonable levels that helps reduce the risk, not only of, uh, of heart disease, but also of stroke uh, later on in life, too. And so um, that's, that's something that we're intentional about. I think what I've learned is that that family, you know, I think parents first and fore foremost, but then um, also siblings grandparents are the people that do this work like it, because they know someone well um who's really changed their heart for it and seen the beautiful things um that are part of william syndrome like i take care of the things that aren't so beautiful right uh, the right. cardiovascular problems aren't the great part um, but there are so many great things and i think it's it's the people that really change um and, and really drive us to do what we do right it's it's not that i'm so interested in in what the blood vessels do right i am kind of a nerd that way but um a lot of the time it's because of the people behind it right and the families i get to interact with and i think 
having uh, grown up with someone with Williams, um, I think that has given me um, kind of a window uh, when people come with a new diagnosis or come um, and, and are learning about it for the first time that are terrified, like you said, you know, my parents went through that. I'm not directly because I was a teenager at the time. So, you know, uh, didn't as much have that same internal struggle. But I think over time have de have developed um, just uh, a respect uh, for people with Williams and what they bring and, and the joy that comes from a lot of the things um, that they can do and that they're involved in. And so um, I think you know, siblings are a huge part of this, um, just as parents are, you know, most of the people in the involvement as parents and they're driven because that happens. But siblings have the same, the same window, the same perspective, and maybe even a little bit of different perspective, right? That, um, that can, that can push this stuff forward. And with the way that we're connected to people these days, um, things can grow and change a lot quicker. So I think that, um, you know, families, grandparents, and everybody else that, that are motivated to be part of these things like this registry and, um, and, and just getting information out there to the medical community is going to benefit everyone in the long term. And so um, that's uh, kind of my perspective. And, and, and from uh, my experience, I think that's what pushes me to keep doing it is that personal experience. Of course, that's what you fall back on all the time. But the more I'm, I get ingrained in the community, the more I want to be a part of it because um, you just see some of those similar characteristics that 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 just make you love uh, love people and actually love the syndrome. And it, it's, a, it's sometimes a strange thing to say, right? This has been the Starry-Eyed Podcast, presented by the Williams Syndrome Association. The show is hosted by Jennifer Keaton and Brendan Lemieux, and produced by me, Joel Listman. Theme song by Tommy Barbarella and Mariella Elm. Got a question for the show? Email us at podcast at williams-syndrome.org or message us at the Starry-Eyed Podcast page on Facebook. Video version of the podcast available on the Williams Syndrome Association channel on YouTube or on Facebook. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or comment on the video version and maybe it will be featured on a future episode. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Starry-Eyed Podcast wherever you get your podcast delights. Yeah.